Baptist Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by the sermons, devotional readings, and teachings that we put out as an encouragement and strength for daily living as we seek to glorify the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, because all things are done for our good and His glory. Welcome to For the Nations podcast, where we proclaim the gospel because Jesus asked for the nations. This is your host, Cody Lester. On this episode, you will hear an open-air sermon I preached at the Tobacco Festival in Lancaster last weekend. I expounded upon the preeminence of Christ as laid out for us in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. I maintained a small crowd throughout the sermon, and it seemed to be well-received. May God receive all the glory for my preaching. Hello, my name is Cody Lester. I'm a member in good standing with New Hope Baptist Church in Moreland, Kentucky. I'm here today because I wanted to bring to you the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to proclaim to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll be preaching from a passage from Colossians chapter 1, which lays out the identity of Jesus Christ. The church at Colossae was dealing with many heresies and false teachings, so Paul sets a right for us, the identity of Jesus. He tells us who Jesus is in this passage. Please hear the words of the living God. It says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. This passage starts teaching us that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? In the same way that a coin presents an image of the person that is on it, when you see the human person of Jesus Christ, you see your Creator. Jesus represents, expresses, reveals and explains the one true Creator God. Jesus put it like this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father in John 14, 9. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. That's from John chapter 12. Jesus taught this, whoever hates me hates my Father also. And the Pharisees had seen and hated both him and his Father, John 15. John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father, we are one. And John 1.18 sums this passage up well when it says that no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. He has fully expressed and explained the one true Creator God. This passage touches on a great mystery in Scripture for it says no one has ever seen God. Yet we read throughout the Bible where people saw Him. Abraham saw Him. Jacob and Moses saw Him. Gideon, Isaiah, and Daniel saw God. Who did they see? They saw the image of the invisible God, the man, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 12, he says that Isaiah saw Him and spoke of His glory. 
Isaiah's vision was 800 years before the coming of Christ. And yet he saw Christ and spoke of his glory. What do we make from this? Jesus Christ is not merely a man. He is God and he must be reckoned with. I urge you to consider in the message I bring today, what will you do with him? What will you do with the image of the invisible God? The passage goes on to say that he's the firstborn of all creation. This does not mean that Jesus is the first created being, as some false groups like the Jehovah's Witness teach, because the very next verse says that Jesus Christ created all things, that is, all things without exception, were made by him, through him, and for him. Furthermore, a quick study in the original language shows this is in the genitive case. That means that it shows ownership. Jesus is the owner over his creation. He's not a member of creation. He's eternal. So what does it mean that he's the firstborn of all creation? Well, just like the firstborn son in days of old held a place of prominence in receiving a double portion of the inheritance of their fathers, in the same way, Jesus Christ holds a place of prominence over his creation. Jesus is your creator and therefore your Lord. He must be obeyed. He commands you this day to obey Him. John 3.36 says, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we must consider, have we obeyed Him? Have you kept His commands? Have you honored your father and your mother? What about you shall not murder? There's one maybe you've kept. Jesus said if you've hated someone in your heart, that you've murdered them in your heart. Jesus exalted God's, God's law and God's standard. You shall not commit adultery, another one of his commands. Likewise, Jesus taught if you have lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery in the heart. God's standard for righteousness is exceedingly high. You shall not steal. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Have you ever failed to return something that you borrowed? Have you ever downloaded free music from the internet? What about lies? How many lies have you told in your entire life? Hundreds, perhaps thousands. What do you call someone who tells thousands of lies but a liar? You shall not covet. I go to the second half of the Ten Commandments to show you your sinfulness, to show you you haven't kept the first ones. For when you were lying, adulterating in your heart and stealing, were you worshiping the one true God? Or were you taking His name in vain? Were you worshiping idols? We should not trivialize our sin. We should take it very seriously because in breaking these commands, you have offended the highest authority that exists. You have offended the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We must ask ourselves, you must ask yourself, how will you plead? What will you say to Him on the day you stand before Him to give an account? He offers you forgiveness for your sins. If you will but repent, place your trust in Him. Repent. Turn from your sin. Be sorry. Be broken over your sins. Turn away from them and trust in Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Continuing in our passage, verse 16 says that by Him, that is by Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This means that Jesus is not merely a man. He is the creator. Jesus Christ created heaven and earth. He created the land and the seas. He set the division between them. He created the plants, the sun, the moon, and the stars, the fish, birds, the land animals, created mankind. That means He created you. Since Jesus is our Creator, this means that when He came in the flesh, when He came in human form, the Creator was stepping into His own creation to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law for us. We've already gone through the Ten Commandments. We've already gone through the laws of God and seen that we have all fallen short. We have all lied. We've all stolen. We've all gone our own way. But when Jesus stepped into His own creation, He never broke any of those laws. He Thank kept you. them perfectly on our behalf. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Since He never sinned, this means He's qualified to stand in the place of sinners. Because when He suffered, He had no sins of His own to suffer for. He could suffer for our sins. He takes the punishment we deserve. His perfection is what qualifies Him to do so. This transaction can be yours if you will, but repent and trust in Him. Turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus Christ. He kept God's laws perfectly on our behalf. His perfect righteousness can be yours, credited to you by your faith in Him. Believe in Him, not your own works, not your own goodness. Trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. The passage says that not only did He create visible things, He created the invisible things. The intricate laws of nature, gravity, physics, mathematics. He created all these things. And I can't help but think about concepts like justice and logic, morality, the concept of induction. When it comes to justice, what is your standard for justice? How do we know what is right and wrong? God has given us a revelation. Let us look to God's law and not man's law. What about logic? How do you validate your reasoning? How do you make sense of the fact that there are universal, invisible laws of reasoning that we use? For example, the law of non-contradiction. A $20 bill cannot be in my wallet and your wallet at the same time in the same way. This is true for us. This is true for the people in France and in South Africa. This is a universal, invisible law of reasoning. We can make sense of this because we have an objective creator. We have a common creator. How about morality? How do we know what is right and what is wrong? What is your standard for morality? Is it God's Word or is it man's Word? And the idea of induction. This is the principle whereby we assume all the laws that govern the universe are in place today as they were yesterday and will be tomorrow. We base our entire lives on this principle. But how do you make sense of it? Your past experience does not determine that those laws will be in place tomorrow. But rather, Jesus Christ is upholding the universe by the word of His power. That's how we can make sense of that. We bank on that. We live every day of our lives as though 
He is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot make sense of any of these things. We can't make sense of justice, logic, morality, induction. This is why the passage says that he is before all things. And in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. He's holding together our universe. And not only that, if you trust in him, your worldview makes sense and holds together. Repent and trust in him. Apart from him, we are left to absurdity and inconsistency on these issues of justice, logic, and morality. The verse says, all things were made through him and for him. Jesus Christ is your maker. He is the purpose of your existence. You are made for his purpose and for his pleasure. Even those who reject him, that's right, even the rebels were made for his purpose and his pleasure. Proverbs 16.4 puts it like this, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Romans 9.22 says it like this, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. The question is not if you will bring Jesus glory. The question is how will you do it? Either you will be a trophy of God's grace in which he can point to you for all eternity and say, look what a wretched sinner I forgave. Or you will bring him glory as the smoke of your torment rises before his throne and perfect justice is done. I pray you will repent today. Be delivered from the wrath that is to come. Turn to Jesus Christ. Receive forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. The next verse says that he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the creator God incarnate. He voluntarily laid down his life to purchase a specific group of people to himself. That is the church. And Jesus is the head of it. It's not your pastor, not a pope. It's Jesus Christ. We've already seen how there are vessels prepared for destruction and there are vessels of mercy prepared for glory. Those vessels of mercy, that refers to the church. You may think to yourself, well, that's not fair. They were prepared beforehand for destruction. That's not fair to them. Paul's response to this is, who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? The picture here is the ridiculousness of a pot complaining to the potter about being made a specific way. God is sovereign and God is free. Thank you, sir. And he is free to do with you as he chooses. Now we must consider that we are looking into the deep mysteries of God here when we talk about His decree. For we do not know who the vessels of wrath are and who the vessels of mercy are. But there is an offer for you today to be made right with God. To receive the offer of free grace. To repent of your sins. To be broken over your sins. And to trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. You will receive everlasting life.
The next verse from Colossians 1 says that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This word that says that Jesus is the beginning, it's the Greek word arche. It means he's in the first place. He's in the principality. He is the ruler. If we haven't labored this enough already, Jesus is number one. Philippians 2 puts it like this, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It also says he's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus died on the cross, then on the third day he rose from the dead, just like he predicted. He said this in John 10, he said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. He said, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Again, in Mark 8.31, it says that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. The empty tomb that Jesus left behind, this is what validates his predictions. This is what validates his claims to be God when he said, before Abraham was, I am. That is the eternal existent one. And this is what validates his teachings. The fact that he left an empty tomb. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose with a body that is no longer subject to death or decay. He received a glorified body. His body still had the scars, but he would rise never to die again. And this glorified body that Jesus received is promised to those who would repent and trust in Him, to have sorrow for your sins, to tell God you're sorry for your sins, to turn away from your sins, to be broken over your sins, and to place all your trust, all your faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Don't trust in your goodness. We've already seen that we have none. We've all broken God's law. We've all fallen short and sinned and we deserve His wrath. About the resurrection, Paul put it, or John put it like this in John 5, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul puts it like this about the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but what is raised to newness of life is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. It will do us no good to have our sins forgiven. Thank you. If we die and return to the dust, but because Jesus leaves behind an empty tomb, He also leaves behind a promise that we too will be raised to life if we repent of our sins and place our trust in Him. We have all gone astray. We've all broken God's laws. We've all lied and stolen. Uh, we've all coveted. We've all dishonored our father and our mother. And we've offended the highest authority that exists. 
But God has been so kind and so gracious and merciful as to send His only Son to live the perfect life we could never live and to die the atoning death to make satisfaction for us on our behalf. Verses 19 and 20 in Colossians 1 says that in, in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Jesus is no mere man. The fullness of God dwelled in Him. And this passage teaches us that Jesus makes reconciliation. I would submit to you that for reconciliation to take place, there must first be an offense. We have all offended God. When we have sinned, Jesus said that if you have hated somebody in your heart, you've broken the command not to murder. If you have lusted after a woman in your heart, you've broken the command not to commit adultery. Have you ever stolen? How many lies have you told in your whole life? Our sins are a grave offense to a holy God. And Jesus makes reconciliation. Jesus offers to make right relationship between you and God. And He does this by the blood of His cross. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins was being placed upon the Son. All of God's wrath and anger due towards us was placed upon Him so that we can be made right with God. But He commands you this day to repent of your sins, to turn away from your sins, to turn away from lying, stealing, committing adultery in the heart, murdering people in your heart, to worship the one true God. Jesus Christ commands us to make a clean break with sin, to turn towards Christ in faith. That is to believe Him, to trust Him, and that He would be your master, and that you obey what He says in His Word. Repent and trust in Him today. Receive everlasting life as a free gift. Thank you.